0: This is Ian Hartley, and I'm Warren Kaye. Welcome to the Rediscovering God podcast.
1: We invite you to join us as we endeavor to see him more clearly, love him more dearly, and follow him more nearly. Welcome to our 63rd podcast, and as we uh, launch today, I just want to remind you that on the website rediscoveringgod.ca, there is a PDF document that you can uh, download and follow along, uh, refer to as uh, you listen to the podcast, and also if you'd like to join us for a discussion of the podcast or other things that you would like to bring we have a Zoom meeting Monday evening at 7.30, and uh, that's Alberta time, mountain time. And uh, we're just happy to have you join us. So just go to Zoom and put in the number 403-506-9201, and you'll be in our room, and we would be happy to get acquainted. If that time doesn't work for you and you'd like to join us at uh, another time, then send us a message at rediscoveringgod20 at gmail.com, and we'll see if there's a group that could meet at another time. So today, Ian, we are going to look at the three angels of Revelation 14.
0: Yeah, um, it's an interesting passage, uh, especially for Seventh-day Adventists. I don't know if you're aware of it but between the first world war and the second world war uh there was um, a growing excitement and awareness that the british people were the last 10 tribes of israel
1: oh i wasn't aware of that
0: really um yeah herbert w armstrong really popularized that idea here in north america Mm. you know the worldwide church of god yes um, so, they were able to, dis- the British people were able to discover themselves in in the Bible. Um, I lived in a country called Rhodesia during a civil war there. Ever heard of that country? I have. Yeah. And uh, there I met a gentleman, a devout Christian, who discovered Rhodesia in the Bible, and He had a prophecy that he could read into it that there would never be a black president of the country. My friend, of course, was white.
1: Hmm.
0: And uh, I would say to him, uh, so what if you're wrong? Well, he said, I can't possibly be wrong because it's in the Bible. (laughs) So (laughs) we have this penchant for discovering ourselves somewhere in the Bible. You know, uh, the Seventh-day Adventists discovered uh, America in the Bible in Revelation 13, the second piece. Yes. Yeah. And, right. uh, so Seventh-day Adventists, and of course, the uh, evangelical Christians, um, they find themselves in various end-time scenarios in the Bible. Uh, Seventh-day Adventists uh, Uh, picked the third angels in Revelation 14, 6 to 12. Uh, They were happy to discover themselves. Uh, So why am I telling you all this? Um, Because human beings always want to find themselves in a a document. You know, if, if there's a group picture and I show you this photograph, who are you going to look for first?
1: I'm going to look to see if I'm there or if you're there. <laughs> yeah,
0: If you very <laughs> kind to say if you're there. <laughs> so, uh, with that kind of uh, introduction, um, let's let's have a look at it. Uh, I on the document that we'll post, I have three uh, different pictures uh, representations of these three angels. The first one, very feminine. Uh, second one, they're clearly masculine. Mm. And then the third one has no gender to it. Uh, it's got this little balloon that you usually see on the cartoons when somebody's conversation's being put in there.
1: Well, and I, I see that on my phone if I have messages.
0: Yes. And then uh, it has three there. This yeah. appeared on the... Uh, Adventist Review in October 2020. Mm. So I thought that was uh, graphic. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> what else can I say? It isn't graphic. <laughs> <laughs> so why don't we just read this passage before we actually get into the uh, uh, commentary on it. Uh, you want to read Revelation
1: 14, 6 to 12? Sure. And I saw another angel flying through the sky, carrying the eternal good news to proclaim to the people who belong to this world, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. Fear God, he shouted. Give glory to him, for the time has come when he will sit as judge. Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and all the springs of water. Then another angel followed him through the sky, shouting, Babylon is fallen. That great city is fallen because she made all the nations of the world drink the wine of her passionate immorality. Then a third angel followed them, shouting, anyone who worships the beast and his statue or who accepts his mark on the forehead or on the hand must drink the wine of God's anger. It has been poured full strength into God's cup of wrath. And they will be tormented with fire and burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and the Lamb. The smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever, and they will have no relief day or night, for they have worshiped the beast and his statue and have accepted the mark of his name. This means that God's holy people must endure persecution patiently, obeying his commands and maintaining their faith in Jesus.
0: Thank you. I wonder what a person would take away if you read this for the first time. It starts out uh, like uh, sounds good but even there it's a bit scary Um, you know God's day of judgment has come then you need to come out of Babylon and um, go and worship the beast whatever that is it's a pretty solemn message Yes Yeah so There were uh, between 50 and 135,000 Adventists around 1840, 1844 in the northeastern part of the US. Uh, William Miller, uh, a deist at one point, uh, had started reading the Bible and he came across this uh, prediction in Daniel um, that he interpreted as Jesus' second coming. He worked it out, and it was to be in 1843. And so he started preaching this, and um, almost 100,000 people uh, concurred with his interpretation. Uh, and so um, they they found this passage, and... Uh, Uh, about the judgment and of course the second coming was seen as the judgment day and so they tried to interpret all these uh, symbols uh, in these messages and first of all Jesus didn't come in 1844 and so they decided those who remained and there were about 10,000 of them out of the 100,000 the others gave up Uh, those that remained decided that uh, the prophecy wasn't about Jesus returning to earth, but about the final judgment starting in 1844. Right. And not on earth, but in heaven. Uh Um, And uh, so then that makes sense of all these other symbols there. So in February, 1844, They thought Jesus was coming in about October, 1844. By the way, there were no Seventh-day Adventists there. These were all Adventists. Mm -hmm. So their interpretation at that point in time was that Babylon represented all churches. Okay. And the reason they took that stance was that uh, they'd been very poorly treated by the churches that they were members of. Hmm. Many of them had been kicked out for this fanatical uh, view that they had,
1: because they believed in a soon coming return of Jesus.
0: Yes, imminent. Yeah, it's going to happen in October that year. Right. Um, after 1844, uh, they interpreted Babylon to be the Protestant churches, and their third message about the beast they interpreted to be Catholicism. So um, they're making a distinction now. Yeah. And uh, then in the 1850s, they decided that the image to the beast is Protestantism. So there's a shift there again. Mm-hmm. Um, then in about uh, 1860 to 1880, uh, the first angel Is the Judgment Day message. Uh, They continue with that. And the second uh, message, they believe, they go back to believing that Babylon is uh, the Protestant churches. So by now, the people that have remained have split up into different groups. The major group is the Seventh day Adventist Church. And by the way, they switched from Sunday worship to Saturday worship because the Seventh-day Baptist pointed out to them uh, that they were inconsistent with the Bible.
1: Right.
0: So that's where the Seventh-day Adventists came from. Mm-hmm. Uh, Advent from that great Advent awakening. And about 1885, they decide that uh, uh, these three angels are not beasts or earthly powers. Um, so they they go away from Protestantism and Catholicism um, and they say that Babylon represents confusion, a confusion in the spiritual world. Um, so there, there's a change there. And then uh, what's very significant is that in 1888, there's a general conference held for the Seventh-day Adventist uh, organization. And at that general conference, um, they decide that the three messages are about Jesus' death and resurrection. And the focus now moves on to what Jesus has done in these three messages. So we'll get into that a little bit. Okay. So, um, do you know much about that 1888 conference?
1: Well, I know a little bit about it and how uh, there was a, a tremendous emphasis on the completed work of Jesus, uh, the righteousness by faith, and what that all meant. And and uh, it was quite a new um, perspective for the church to. Focus more on Jesus than upon the law, which is what they had been focusing on prior to that time.
0: Yeah, yeah, very good. So, one of the things that was also taught was uh, that if you come out of Babylon, if you avoid beast worship, uh, you will, and trust in Jesus, you will actually become perfect. Okay. And that was actually the Achilles heel uh, of this message. Um, because um, that didn't happen. Right. Um, it's always been the longing of devout Christians that they would become perfect. But uh, somehow I ignore what Paul says that uh, this corruption will only put on incorruption at the second coming.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So um, what do we believe today? Uh, well, here I have, uh, uh, what shall I call it, a comic representation of what is generally held by Seventh-day Adventists uh, today, um, that the first angel is says, keep the Sabbath, the seventh day.
1: Mm-hmm. The
0: second angel says, Protestants are wrong on both which day to worship and also about health. There's no ever-burning hell, and then the third angel is saying the Catholics are going to get you with Sunday laws.
1: Hmm.
0: Okay, so that's a uh, what's the word? Um, what's the word I'm looking for?
1: Uh, cryptic.
0: Uh, yeah.
1: Cryptic a, description, maybe.
0: Yeah, it's 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 a bit more humorous than
1: that. Oh, okay.
0: Yeah. I'm Sarcastic. Sort of,
1: a kind of a sarcastic view.
0: Oh, well, I was hoping you wouldn't say that. Something. <laughs> a, c- a cynical view. <laughs> yeah, maybe I'll settle for cynical. <laughs> so, I don't know about you, Warren, but many Adventist churches that I've visited uh, display the three angels very prominent. True. We, we as a church have made the three
1: angels' messages almost uh, more important than uh, the crucifixion.
0: Well, uh, in terms of our symbolism, very definitely. And I seldom see any representation of our savior, Jesus Christ Mm -hmm. uh, in the churches. Um, So let me be a bit more cynical and say It almost seems to me as though the Mormons have one angel, but we have three, so we two (laughs) up with them. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, let's let's get into the actual text. Yes. And I saw another angel flying in midair, very visible, and he had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on the earth, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. Okay, so... Angel means uh, heavenly messenger. Um, how do we know that? From Hebrews 2, verse 14, which says uh, angels are all ministering spirits.
1: Mm.
0: sent to minister unto them that are heirs of salvation. Have I got my reference right? I don't think so. Um, I'll have my scribe check it up for me. Okay. It's it, Hebrews. Um, that'll come. So, We come back to that. The gospel, uh, notice this is the eternal gospel. And it's for everybody. Now, that wasn't true in 1845. In 1845, the Adventists, remember they weren't Seventh-day Adventists. Now they're just Adventists. uh, They believed that the gospel was only for those people who had waited for Jesus to come and experienced this great disappointment so uh, he, he uh, only it was only for those people that's mm. good news so to say it's for everybody that wasn't true in 1845 it mm. has since become that way yeah. okay uh, so when it says the eternal Gospel this is saying that this was good news even before sin entered it. Mm. Eternal. Yes. I see you looking a bit pensive.
1: Well, uh, because we've talked about how uh, even in uh, Ephesians chapter one there was a plan before the foundation of the world where God was going to make us part of His family, and we've mm. you've said. That was the, the plan. Even without sin, we would become part of his family. Yes. Mm-hmm.
0: And, and this good news, which is about God and his son, Jesus, uh, has always been there for those who wanted to hear it and always yeah. will be there. So it, it's not just about how God's related to sin, but it relates to the actual character of god what he is like and always has
1: been like and that's an important distinction to make because so much of what we tend to believe is simply god's response to the fact that we uh, are in sin but this is yes. looking at who god is regardless of that yes yeah
0: so um there's a very interesting artistic uh, history uh, of the development of this concept um, of the importance of God and Jesus, uh, Ellen White and James White commissioned a a painting of the story of salvation in 1876. So we're looking at that picture right now,
1: mm-hmm. and
0: very prominently is the displayed. Um, is the law of God, the Ten Commandments.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, they just as prominent as the cross. Right, yes. And uh, so you've got this whole picture up on the top right-hand corner, you have the New Jerusalem, and in the left bottom corner, you have Adam and Eve being expelled from the garden, Cain killing Abel, you have the sanctuary, and so on. So they're not happy with this uh, picture. And so they have it redone in 1883. So what differences do you see between these two now?
1: Well, there's no definite. There's the cross is front and center.
0: Yeah. That's, that's huge.
1: Very definite. Yes.
0: And what's happened to the law? It's gone. <laughs> it's really interesting, isn't it? Yes. Um you still have Sinai in the back. You see the mountain there with okay. the heavy dark black clouds and a lightning bolt. Uh, that's re- uh, representing the giving of the law. Mm, just an allu- just alluding to it. You're just alluding to it. Yeah. Um, and then I, I have a, 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 this third picture was painted in 1980 by an Adventist artist, and of course it's in color now, Mm -hmm. and the cross is even more prominent. Yes. Uh, So there's an interesting history in our art Mm -hmm. uh, form. Thank you, my scribe just uh, mentioned to me that the reference for angels being ministering spirits is in chapter one of Hebrews, verse 14. Oh, good, okay. Happy to make a correction. Mm-hmm. So let's just talk about the gospel. Uh, the word gospel is from the Greek word euangelion, which literally means good news. Yes. And sometimes we think that good news and good advice are synonyms. Mm, very different. Good news is about something that's happened Good advice is about something that needs to happen in the future. Right. Yeah, they're they're very different. Mm -hmm. Uh, So what is the good news? The eternal good news. God loves you as much as he loves Jesus. God created you to love you and to serve you. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's uh, that's what Jesus did in his life and his death. Uh, His life was one of total service to the people around him. And he loved every person uh, that he came in contact with, including the two thieves crucified adjacent to him, including the executioners, uh, gambling for his only worldly possessions as he was hung up to die on the cross. He blesses them with forgiveness and excuse. They know not what they do. So it's eternal. It's always been there. That is the way God loves uh, his creation. It's unconditional. There's nothing you can ever do to create God to love you less. True. And, And this is the only place in the Bible where the gospel is said to be eternal. Hmm. You you can infer that from uh, Ephesians chapter one, but here yeah, it's just uh, overtly said. Yes. Um, so here's the problem with the gospel: uh, we find it hard to believe that anybody could be this good. Our love is so conditional that to to postulate, to believe, to understand that God's love is unconditional is a huge paradigm shift for us.
1: Especially because Christianity has made salvation so um, transactional. There's something that we have to do in order to receive it. Yeah, Uh, That it's hard to believe that it's simply there. God simply loves us. And yet when we look at a a parent-child relationship, It helps us to catch a glimpse of how God is our parent and we are his children. Just like we love our children regardless. Nothing can make us stop loving them. And we catch a glimpse of what that could be like.
0: Yeah, I I like that. And I was thinking as you were talking, uh, does there come an age when uh, you no longer love the child unconditionally, but you expect them to keep their end of the relationship i don't think so okay good then yeah. you're a great dad <laughs> so faith faith is believing god rather than yourself because yeah. in ourselves we often don't feel like we love the book
1: well and that's the the result of sin right of the the death of of the spiritual self that believes uh, what God says about us. And we believe a lie about ourselves. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Now that is the lie. Um, So he said, this is the first angel verse seven of revelation 14. If you'll read it, please.
1: He said in a loud voice, fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and the springs
0: of water. Thank you. So that word fear, um, you know, has changed its meaning. Uh, fear uh, in our day and age means to be afraid of. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like the word gay. If I say to you, I'm sure you were a gay young man, Warren. hmm Uh, Do you like that? That's certainly changed significantly. (laughs) It used to mean you were carefree, happy, Yeah, um, had nothing to do with your sexual orientation. So fear in this context means to hold in awe, to admire. Yes. So um, admire God and give him glory for the hour of his judgment. Now, how do you give glory to somebody? Mm, that's a good question. You say good things about them. Mm.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, you, that's how you, you would bring glory to a person. Mm-hmm. The opposite is to put them down. To lift them up is another way of giving glory. Mm-hmm. So when we tell of the wonder of God as displayed in the life and death of his son, Jesus, we are giving glory to him. And then it says, because the hour of his judgment has come. So here's where your picture of God really affects um, the way you interpret this word, judgment. Um, We have to decide who is judging who. Right. Mm -hmm. And again, this is the only place in the Bible that I know of where judgment and gospel are placed together in the same context. Hmm. So catch this, he uh, the angel has the eternal gospel and then somehow uh, um, this eternal gospel and judgment are Siamese twins. They, they just come together. They, they're part of the, the deal. So you're saying they're both good news? Okay, let's look at it um, Mm. and and see if we can make that. So who judged who in Eden? If I say to you, Adam and Eve judged God, would you uh, balk at that? Would you be okay with that?
1: Well, because they end up kind of accusing him. It's the woman that you gave me. It's, uh, you know, the serpent. Uh, they, They shifted the blame and end up putting it on God.
0: That's right. So, and and to substantiate what you're saying, when the serpent says to Eve, uh, has God said, he raises this question and he insinuates that God is withholding something from her and that if she eats of this fruit, she's going to become like God and God's actually afraid of her becoming his equal. Mm. So she makes a judgment call and decides... She's going to believe the serpent and go against God's advice. uh So let's look at the flood. Um, Who judged who at the flood? So God says to Noah, build this ark. um, and And Noah warns the people there's a flood coming. And then finally, they see the animals going in. They still refuse to go in. And then the door has to close because the rain's coming. So these people that wouldn't go in the ark, they judged that the message that Noah was giving them, which was from God, um, was false. Mm -hmm. So if if we go to the cross, for instance, um, what's happening at the cross? Here is the innocent God dying uh, for... The people he had made, who are all around him, and what's their attitude towards Jesus? Well, uh, hey, miracle man, you got the nails, you got the wood. Climb down now. Make yourself a ladder. Hey, you promised to build the temple in three days. You've got the nails, you've got the wood. Why don't you build it now? You know, just Mm. horrible epithets that they threw at him. And then let's take the second coming. Um, If if you read in Revelation 6, the last three verses, um, you have people um, at the second coming who are calling on the rocks and the mountains to fall on them and hide them from the face of the Lamb it sounds to me like they've judged that they don't want to be with the lamb in any part, any way. They'd rather commit suicide. Mm -hmm. So the point I'm trying to make is that we are the ones who are judging God. Mm. Yes.
1: At each stage we've judged God.
0: Yes. Mm. So when it says, because the hour of his judgment has come, uh, this has traditionally been interpreted as saying, "God is going to judge you, and you better smarten up, yes, or else you're going to end up in a horrible destination." When, when you couple this judgment with the gospel, the good news is, is listen, um, you guys are judging God, but God loves you. Mm-hmm. Why not accept Him? So this hour of judgment. Uh, the, the Greek word is crisis, which we all understand as crisis. Uh, the hour of this crisis has come. This is a time of decision. Is God worthy of our worship? So I need you to reflect a little bit about what I've been saying. Well, yeah, like it it really
1: shifts the whole idea of taking another look at who God really is. And, and we come with the conclusion when we see it that way, that he is worthy of worship. He's yes. done all of this for us. And yes. and we, we um, all, what else can we do but to worship him?
0: So I, I wanna, um, do you have the New Living Translation? I do. Uh, will you read Revelation 14, verse 7? Fear God,
1: he shouted, give him glory, for the time has come when he will sit as judge. Worship him who made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all the springs
0: of water. See, now the translators of the New Living Translation have, have missed the other possibility. Yes. And they've opted for the very common understanding that God is judging people. hmm and not that people are judging God. Yes. So so what happens is that we shift the blame to God again, instead of taking responsibility for our own choices and our own decisions. Mm -hmm. It's really horrendous how we won't take uh, responsibility for ourselves. So it says, worship him who made... Heaven and earth to see. Uh, it, it's saying, is worship the creator who made everything.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So, this language here is very reminiscent of the fourth uh, commandment, which uh, talks about remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, for in six days the Lord made heaven and earth to see. Actually, let's just copy and paste mm. the same words here. So, It's calling to creator worship, not excluding Jesus uh, and his life and death. It's calling us to admire him uh, because of his creation. Uh, We are alive, conscious, sentient beings because God made us out of nothing. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And uh, so it's only fair to, to worship him as the creator. So let's think for a minute about this word worship. Um, if I had to ask you to tell me what worship is, I've never been to a worship service. What would you say it is?
1: Well, worship is a is an emotional response to to someone or something, and 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 so we we uh, how can I? It's hard to describe. Uh, it, it's placing yourself in submission to that person um and lifting them up uh,
0: to be exalted yeah so this happens typically at a rock concert okay um people go to the rock concert because of who uh is performing and then they they shout their appreciation and dance in the aisles and um just have a wonderful time together, admiring these people. And it's intensely emotional. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's quite different to going to a lecture. Right. Which is often just a cerebral cognitive thing.
1: Yeah. I've often said that our, our, we call it worship when we go to church, but we usually just have a meeting where we talk about God.
0: Yeah. We don't actually worship. Yeah. We don't actually experience God emotionally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, caught up in this emotional uh, experience is our admiration, our adoration, and our desire to emulate God. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what it's meant to be. It's uh, meant to be a time of intense emotional connection where we are drawn closer to God and closer to each other. You know, it's such a different view,
1: uh, because often people see God as sovereign. He can do whatever he chooses. Yeah. And yet, as you've described, at each stage, God allows himself to be judged. He allows us to pass judgment on him. And when we see that and see how he, he passes the test every time, worship becomes the only appropriate response. hmm
0: And this business of free choice, um, this is what authenticates that the choice is free, is that you are actually able to judge your creator. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: There's no forced choice here. You can actually make a decision. So we're ready for the second angel. If you'll read it, please. Revelation 14, verse 8.
1: Then another angel followed him through the sky, shouting, Babylon is fallen. That great city is fallen because she made all the nations of the world drink the wine of her passionate immorality.
0: Yes, yeah, so we've got three concepts here. We need to talk about Babylon and wine and adulteries.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So let's talk about Babylon first. So the greatest Babylonian was Nebuchadnezzar and the seam song uh of his uh, rule is found in daniel 4 verse 30 can you read that please uh warren
1: as he looked out across the city he said look at this great city of babylon by my own mighty power i have built this beautiful city as my royal residence to display my majestic splendor
0: thank you and read verse 31
1: while these words were still in his mouth A voice called down from heaven, O King Nebuchadnezzar, this message is for you. You are no longer ruler of this kingdom.
0: Thank you. So uh, Babylon is the kingdom of self-worship. I'm taking that from the lips of the greatest Babylonian of them all. You know, this guy, Nebuchadnezzar, was a genius. He built this empire and this magnificent city out of sand and wind. Mm. Yeah, he really had uh, reason to be proud of himself. But uh, he suffered from megalomania,
1: <laughs> yeah. uh,
0: narcissism, which uh, many successful people succumbed to. So um, I want you to read Romans 10, verse 6 to 7, because this self-worship is very subtle, and it afflicts the best of us. Romans 10, verse 6 to 7.
1: But faith's way of getting right with God says, don't say in your heart, who will go up to heaven to bring Christ down to earth? And don't say who will go down to the place of the dead to bring Christ back to life again.
0: Okay, so what Paul is warning against is don't think that you can be made right with God by some heroic action on your part, Hmm. like going up to heaven or going down to hell. That is not what makes you right with God. Right. So you can be a martyr. uh, You can be a missionary all your life. Um, You know, you can be Mother Teresa, uh, and none of these human actions, however noble and self-sacrificing they are, make you right with God. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so there are many Christians who worship their own ability to live moral, God-fearing lives. They don't see Jesus as their Savior. And they're in Babylon, so the second angel says come out of Babylon uh, come out of the great city of self worship. Um, What is this wine, perhaps you'll read mark two verse 22.
1: And no one puts new wine into old wine skins for the wine would burst the wine skins and the wine and the skins would both be lost new wine calls for wine
0: skins. Jesus is talking about his teachings. He says, you can't put them in your old paradigms, your old thought forms, your old metaphors, your old word pictures of God. You need a new way of thinking about God. So wine represents teaching. Okay. You know, in another place, Jesus says, um, you will know a tree by its fruit. And that's often interpreted as saying, well, look at the messenger and see if the messenger is living a pure life. I'll tell you that there are rascals who've told us the truth. Um, I can think of Jonah. You know, he was a rascal. He wanted the Ninevites destroyed. He didn't want them repenting. He he was a mean dude Mm -hmm. and he was most upset when the Ninevites actually took his call to repentance seriously. I think of Judas, who was going out, healing the sick and casting out demons, and yet uh, he he wasn't into it for moral reasons.
1: Right.
0: You know, recently we had um, a revelation of Ravi Zacharias having abusive relationships with women, but Mm -hmm. you will not find a better apologist for Christianity than the presentations of Rabbi Zacharias. I'm not excusing him in any way. Mm -hmm. I'm just saying that uh, all messengers have faults and foibles. When Jesus says you must look at the fruits of the mess of the tree, he's saying, What does this message do for you as a person? Does it make you more patient, kinder, generous, accepting of other people? Or does it make you mean-spirited and judgmental? That's what Jesus is referring to. Mm -hmm. So this maddening wine of Babylon, the teachings of Babylon drive you to insanity. In right. terms of your moral behavior, so the next one, the fornication or adultery, as opposed to marriage, um, fornication or adultery is a relationship without commitment. So in Babylon, you don't need to have a commitment to have a relationship. Mm. You're in it for just what you can get out of it.
1: And that's so different than the relationship that God wants to have with us. He wants a relationship.
0: Yeah. He does. Mm-hmm. And God's relationship with us is not for what he can get out of us. Mm-hmm. So the teachings of Babylon, Babylon are so subtle, Warren, that many uh, godly, sincere teachers in Christianity teach that God made you to worship him, to obey him, to serve him. Mm-hmm. What they're, in fact, saying is that God is a Babylonian. Mm. He has a relationship with you for what he can get out of you. So I have people who say to me, I had a heart attack, but the man upstairs must still have something for me to do because I'm still alive. Right. So that comment uh, reveals this idea that God keeps you alive because he wants you to do something for him. So this call to come out of Babylon is repeated in Revelation 18, verse 1. If you'll be kind enough to read that, please. Sure. Revelation. This, we refer to this as the fourth angel because uh, what this angel calls for is actually a repetition of angel number two. They're reading Revelation 18, verse 1. After all this, I saw another angel come down
1: from heaven with great authority. And the earth grew bright with his splendor. He gave a mighty shout. Babylon is fallen. That great city is fallen. She has become a home for demons. She is a hideout for every foul spirit and a hideout for every foul vulture and every foul and dreadful animal.
0: Thank you. So um, this is what we're talking about is that Babylon is um, an empire built on selfishness. It is the kingdom of this world. And this angel in Revelation 18, verse 1, it says, I saw another angel. Um, what's the description?
1: Another angel come down from heaven with great authority, and the earth grew
0: bright with his splendor. Okay, there are three things they came down from heaven. Mm-hmm. That phrasing, that description, angel from heaven, occurs three times in the book of Revelation. And we don't have the time to uh, make this clear, but this refers to Jesus and he had great authority. Uh And if you read the gospel of Matthew, the authority issue is about whether God can forgive sins unilaterally or whether you have to do something like bring an animal or confess or repent all good things, but not the cause for God's forgiveness. So that's what it's referring to. I mean, nobody questions the ability of God to walk on water, or heal the sick, or raise the dead. It's this—the this central question of authority was over: Can God forgive sin unilaterally without uh, the sinner doing anything to merit it? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then finally, it says, "The earth is filled with His glory." So this is a repetition of the second angel, but it's it's at a later time. And it's a promise that one day the earth will be filled with the glory of Jesus. And this is prior to the second coming. And what that means is that Jesus will be presented to the world in such a winsome, wonderful, compassionate, loving way that the attraction will be almost irresistible and uh, by the way the these angels are human messengers um, that are referred to in the three angels messages um, we don't see angels flying in the in the air above us
1: mm-hmm.
0: shouting these messages down they come by human. Speaking or writing or appearing on television on the social uh, networks, Um, it's human beings, right? Who part of this good news about Mm -hmm. how wonderful God is. So, Warren, I think we will do the third angel in another podcast. I think we've been at this long enough. Sure, okay. You okay with that? That's great. Okay.
1: Thank you for joining us today on this journey to understand the God that Jesus knew. To enable you to share this with your friends, we've developed a website at www.rediscoveringgod.ca where all the podcasts are posted and you can also download a PDF document that gives you the passages that we've been looking at in each podcast that you can review. Follow along or share also with your friends. In addition to the website, you can reach us at rediscoveringgod20 at gmail.com. If you have questions or just would like to share with us, we would be glad to hear from you. Thank you so much.